It's Easter Sunday and we're ready to celebrate with you. Today we will be starting a new sermon series called Two Truths and a Lie. And don't forget that after the gathering, we will have a petting zoo outside and a photo booth for you to enjoy. Have a great day, guys. Happy Easter to you. Okay, I was like, wait a minute, don't leave me hanging today, all right, all right. Hey, good to see so many of you this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and we are just so thankful to have each and every one of you here with us this morning as we are celebrating Easter together. And a couple of things I just want to mention to you before we jump into where we're going today. My shirt here kind of flares out a little bit. I want you to know it's buttoned, all right? So there's nothing happening, but when I made the decision to tuck it in, it kind of opens. I, I want you to know it's all legit, all right? It's all good. You don't have to worry. I don't want it to distract you. I want you to know what's going on on the front end so you're not like, what is happening with his shirt? So I just want to get that out of the way. And then the other part of what I want to do is as we're celebrating, as we're gathering uh, together today, is we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Two Truths and a lie. Show of hands, how many of you have ever played this game before? Two truths and a lie. Some of us, most of us have played this game before, but here are the rules of the game. Here are the rules. Here's how you play two truths and a lie. And you know it's legit when I Google it and it's founded on the internet, right? You know it's legit when it comes that way. That was a joke, by the way. Not everything you read on the internet is true, but this is true. Listen to what it says here. It says, to start, one person has to give three statements about themselves to the rest of the group. The trick is all of the statements won't be true. Two of the statements given should be true and one should be a lie. After you're finished, everyone should guess which statement they think you made up. So I thought we'd have a little fun this morning. And we're going to do a little Joe Velarde edition of Two Truths and a Lie. And so I want you to be able to think with me about my statements that I've created. Two are true. One is a lie. And then at the end, we'll do a show of hands in which one you thought was the lie. So here's the first one. I once went on tour with a band to the Midwest. Statement number one. Statement number two. I visited El Salvador to reconnect with long lost relatives. Statement number three. I had a probation officer named, a probation officer named Tanya. All right. These are the three statements. How many of you guys think statement number three is the lie? Show of hands. Statement number three is the lie. How many think statement number three is the lie? Okay. Couple of you, show of hands, couple of you. How many of you think statement number two is the lie? Statement number two is the lie. Statement number two is the lie. How many of you guys think statement number three is the lie? Statement number three, show of hands. Some of you are not playing the game. You got to show your hand. How many of you think statement number three is the lie? Okay. All right. So here's what you'll know. I Oh, I did three. Okay, so statement number one. How many of you guys say statement number one's a lie? Okay, all right, here we go. That's my fault on the, the rules. Clearly, I don't, I don't follow the rules very well. Statement number two is the lie. Show of hands. How many of you guys think? Statement number three you think is the lie. Okay, all right, all right. All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Statement number two is actually the lie. Statement number two is the lie. Some of you guys got that. I haven't yet gone to El Salvador to reconnect with my family yet. That's something I'm, I'm looking to do. Some of you know this story, but my father left my family when I was two years old and then came back when I was in middle school and then left again when I was in high school. And then in 2009, we, we reconciled. 
and have had a relationship that's been building. It's been incredible, but that's part of, of my story there. And I did have a probation officer named Tanya in high school, uh, and she was uh, part of working with my twin brother and I, John, who's actually teaching uh, some of the elementary age kids. By the way, he's doing really well, too, just in case you're wondering. I want you to know everything's legit. We're good. Um, and part of that was a lot of the heartache and, and pain and anger that we had of trying to find our way and trying to search and seek. And so a lot of behavioral issues that came with that. And so my, my freshman year of high school, my sophomore year of high school, I had a probation officer. But I did go on a tour with a band in high school. And we went to uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. I actually was their roadie. And it is a band that was called Ground Noise at one point, but then would change their name to be called Family Force Five. And some of you may know who they are, maybe not, depending on your genre, your age, and all these things that make up your understanding of it. But I would help them with equipment. I was on the RV with them. They would let me on stage at time, and I would break it down. I would do some break dancing for some of the songs, and I would get to share and talk and talk to students and all these types of things. That was my junior year of high school. So I want you to just think with me how easy it is how easy it is to mix up the truth for lies. Isn't it easy to do that? It's hard sometimes to be able to discern what is true and what is, what is not true. And for us, we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to discern between the truth and the lies because a game is fun, but when we live a life that's built on lies, that has disastrous outcomes in our own lives and in our relationships with others as well. And so as we think about, again, two truths and a lie, Joe Velarde edition, on Easter, what I wanted to do is I actually wanted to give a resurrection Easter edition as well. And I just want you to think with me of the two truths and a lie, which one of these you think is the lie. And we're not going to do a show of hands by, by way of what you think is the lie here, but I just want you to think of some of the ways in which people come around this day with. Okay, so here's number one. The disciples stole the body of Jesus and made up that he resurrected, making it a hoax, not a historical event. That's statement number one. Statement, statement number two, Jesus rose from the dead. Statement number three, Jesus appeared to over 500 witnesses after he was resurrected. And I just want you to think with me, what is your whole viewpoint and vantage point when it comes to this day Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus that we are celebrating. I want you to be thinking about how you interact with that idea, that event, what you would say your view of it is. And I know for me personally, it took many, many years for me to actually understand what I was hearing when it came to the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, all throughout high school, I would go to church and we would celebrate Good Friday. We would do Easter egg hunts. We would have plays and productions and, and the such. And we would come and we would celebrate Easter Sunday. And I would hear statements like, Jesus is alive. You know, Jesus is alive. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, yeah, 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 Jesus is alive, yeah. You know, and everybody would be pumped up about that. You know, Jesus is alive, yes. But I didn't understand fully what that meant. And actually, it wasn't until my freshman year of college, after my senior year of high school, where I had put my faith in Jesus, but I didn't fully understand who he was and what he had done. I didn't understand that not only did he 
God take on flesh, who's always been and will always be, but he dwelt among us and then was murdered on a cross and then buried. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because I remember during Good Friday, people would cry and weep and, oh, so sad. But I didn't understand the magnitude of what was happening. And maybe you can relate to that as well. Maybe you're like, okay, I kind of get it, but I don't get it. I don't fully understand it. And I'll never forget coming to terms my freshman year of college, reading this book called Classic Christianity by Bob George, that really helped me to understand, no, not only did Jesus die, not only did he die and was buried, but he rose from the dead. He, He literally resurrected and appeared to people. And that's a game changer. That changes everything if Jesus said he was going to die because everybody can say, hey, I'm going to die because we know we're going to all die, right? It's one thing to say that, but then to say, hey, I'm not only going to die, but three days later I'm going to rise from the dead and actually do it, that changes everything. And that changes not only how we view what happened in this event, but also what that means for our life. To really be able to see Jesus as he truly is is going to impact the way we go about living our lives. To see Jesus as this living hope. And again, you may not be there yet. You may come to this Sunday and be like, "Ah, I'm not totally sure I'm into this whole Jesus thing. I'm not totally sure what I think about this whole resurrection idea. And you're in good company, not only in my own story, but those first disciples that heard this idea, this historical, accurate event that took place, they didn't believe it either. They didn't actually think he was going to rise from the dead. And so what I want to do as we think about this idea of two truths and a lie, and as we think about and consider what it is Jesus has done, I want us to hear that very first account. And I want us to just put ourselves in their response to what it is that Jesus had done, but also I want it to help us to discover some truths about who this Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses will be on the screen, and we also have a free copy of the Bible for you out in the hallway. If you do not have a copy, we'd love to give that to you. But listen to what it says here. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, and if you are comfortable, let's read this highlighted section out loud together. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so what you see firsthand is, first happening here, is that John, one of Jesus' disciples, is recording what happened. So if this actually did not take place, and they were going to make it a myth or a fable type of literature, they would not, first of all, tell you real reactions and responses to what actually happened. But also, they wouldn't involve a woman as the first eyewitness of this idea that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. Because in that culture, in first century, and for the early, early church and the, those who were Jewish, a woman's testimony was not considered valid. It was thrown out. It was considered invalid. But yet we see the Gospel of John recording Mary's response. Mary's like, someone took the body. Someone rolled the stone away, and we don't know where they have put the body. 
And for her to say that, by the way, for her to say that this is not an indication that she thinks he's alive, she still thinks he's dead, right? She doesn't think he's alive. She thinks he's, his body's been stolen, he's still dead. They don't know where they, she doesn't know where his body's been put. And this is her response. This is her reaction to that. Well, it continues on here. And it said, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And I love how, how John does this. John just says like, hey, wait a minute. I want you to know how much faster I am than Peter, the other disciple. I got to just throw that in there. I'm writing this gospel. This is for, for your benefit. You need to know this, right? You need to know how fast I am. It says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And I just want you to hear the different personality types here. First of all, John's recording how fast he is, but then he talks about how his intimidation of going in. Hey, not going in the tomb. He's like, man, I don't know what's in there, right? Like, I don't want to go in there, you know. But here's Simon Peter. He just goes right in, right? He's like, I've been told, like, the body's been stolen. I got to investigate this for myself. I got to see it with my own eyes. Again, they're not believing that he's alive. They're not believing that Jesus is resurrected. Goes on to say this here. It says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. This is John. He's referring to himself here when he says that. He saw and believed. What did he see and believe? He saw and believed what Mary said. Mary said, hey, the body's been stolen, and it says he believed her now. At first he didn't believe her, but now he believes her. They still did not understand from, from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They did not get it. So if you're there and you're like, I don't get it, Guess what? They didn't get it. And they walked with Jesus for over three years. They didn't get it. They could not see it. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So they went back there. And you're thinking, you know what? Maybe they're, they got a countdown clock somewhere. You know, maybe they're going to start like, hey, we know sometime he's going to appear. He's going to show up. And yeah, Jesus is alive. And they're going to start having these victory chants. But watch their, their next response here. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is Mary now. And it says this, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Again, not believing Jesus is going to resurrect. Not believing that Jesus is alive. She's not believing that. She's responding like someone who's lost a loved one. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you're not expecting them to resurrect from the dead and show up again. If you've lost a loved one recently, you know very well what Mary's feeling. You know very well what Jesus felt in John 11 when Lazarus, his, one of his good friends, passed away. It says he wept, right? Those are the right responses when we lose someone we love. 
to weep, to cry, to be sad. And this is a real response to something that had happened. They saw the one that they had given their life to, the one that they had followed, murdered on a cross. They saw him buried. And now she's doing her part to care for the tomb, to visit, to make sure everything's what it, as it should be. But he's not there. He's not there. And yet Jesus is showing up there. And there's these conversations between her and the angels. And again, she still cannot see it. She can't see it. And it goes on to say this. It says, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? That sounds very insensitive in this moment, right? Why are you crying? You know, like, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So now Mary's like, I don't know where Jesus is. I don't know what happened to his body. Maybe the religious leaders took it. Maybe uh, Rome, Roman officers took it. And now she's moving to the gardener. You know she's getting desperate, right? You know, gardener, if you took it, like, tell me where you put his body. And it says this. Jesus said, Mary. She, tur- she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father in your Father, to my God in your God. And so just think about this. It took a lot to get Mary's attention. But Mary is spoken to by Jesus in such a way that when he calls her name, she can recognize his voice. And there's something beautiful about that in our own story. And I want you to know Jesus is calling each and every one of you by name today. He's calling your name. He's calling you forward. He's calling you to encounter and experience what he has done for you. He's calling you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow. I know many of you, this year not only has been challenging, but you're, you're like my new friend that I met yesterday at the park. And he was getting ready for retirement with his, his bride. His name's Tim. And he said, my wife and I were planning for retirement. And, and suddenly she, she passed away of COVID in January. And I just said, man, I, I just am so sorry. And I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you, but there's a God who draws near to you in those pain points. And for some of you, it's not even the loss of a loved one only. For some of you, it's the heaviness and the weight that you're carrying with the responsibility that's on your shoulders. For some of you, it's this ongoing issue that continues to occur again and again and again. And you think God is done with you and you think Jesus is sick of you and he's given up on you. But just like Mary, he calls you forward. He says your name. He says your name. He says Mary. He says Joseph. He says Wes. He says Steve. He says Amy. He says Craig. He says Ed. He says Christy. He says your name. He knows your story. He knows your struggle. He knows the things that are difficult for you to even understand and the reasons why you even have a challenging time believing this actually happened, what we're reading about. He knows. Just like he knew my story. When my dad left, oh man, that, that changed the trajectory of, of my story. 
and me and my brothers. It, it, it did something to our family. And there were stepdads that came in and out of our lives who caused a lot of pain on us. And it caused me to question, is there a God who sees me and comes near to me? And is He trustworthy? But just like Mary was called forward, He called me forward. And He kept calling. And He kept calling. And He kept calling. And He kept calling. And you know what? You may feel like it's too late. He's called me too many times. No, it's not too late. He's calling you forward. He's saying your name. He's saying your name. And He knows your story. Well, it continues on here. It says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Let's say this out loud together. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord, it says. And she told them that he had, and she told them that he had said these things to her. And again, I love this because when you look at what is said to Mary beyond her name, he, tell, she, he tells her to tell them, hey, your God, I, I'm going back to your God, and I'm going back to your Father. He reminds them of their identity. He reminds them of what they were created for. And you're going to think that as she has seen the resurrected Jesus and starts telling others that people are going to get on the bandwagon. But guess what? People are like you and me. They got to see it with their own eyes to believe it, right? And so were those other disciples. Listen to what it says here in John 20. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And as you think about what's said here to the disciples, again, you've got to be reminded that they were afraid of the religious leaders. So they're, they're behind closed doors. They're, they're afraid of what's going to happen. They just saw Jesus die a criminal's death, something that he shouldn't have died for. He was crucified. He was murdered. And so they're afraid. And yet Jesus shows up, and just like he says to them, he says to you and I, peace be with you. In other words, he's greeting them. He's saying, hey, I'm coming near to you. And there's a peace that's found in me that even extends and goes beyond your circumstances. There's a peace of, of being made right with God and joining God and seeing things be made right. The way, the way things were intended to be. That's why he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you've been sent out by the Father. You've been sent out to serve as Jesus has served us and to share what Jesus has done for all people. When Jesus shows up, the response should be, I'm overjoyed. And that's why I love even yesterday as we were at the Easter egg hunt and the community came together. Man, Jesus showed up. He showed up. He was at work. And it was clear. And we can't help but celebrate who He is and hold Him out to others. And I love how Jesus shows them His hands. His hands that were pierced by nails. His side that was struck. And that a spear went through. He's showing them these things. These are eternal marks of His resurrected body that just show of the length of His love for you and for me. These marks aren't going to go away. These marks just show how much He loves and He cares for each and every one of us. His love for you is deep. 
His love for you is perfect, and His love for you is complete. It's through and through. Again, the disciples are now believing what they saw. And you're going to think that now Mary saw, and she told these disciples that were there, that it's just going to catch on the wildfire. But then there's one more account here within John 20. It goes on to say this. Now Thomas, how many of you guys ever heard the, the, the character named Thomas? Doubting Thomas, show of hands. Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap, by the way. We're going to see that in just a minute here. Now Thomas, also known as Denimus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, let's read this out loud together, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And just like these disciples that heard from Mary and then saw the resurrected Christ, then believed, for Thomas, he did not believe. Even after Mary had given an account, even after these disciples had given an account, it says, but he said to them, unless I see the nails, the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in the, into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. In other words, he needs proof. And he's being honest. And I, I think there's something commendable about Thomas here that we need to just acknowledge. Can you be honest about what's causing you not to believe Jesus for who he truly is? What's your doubt? What's your question mark? What makes you skeptical about Jesus? What makes you skeptical about even who he is and his life, death, burial, and resurrection? What makes you skeptical? What is it in your own story, your own journey? And those things are not to be ignored. Those things are to be called forward and to in faith and trust, just like Thomas, we can come honestly to Jesus and say, hey, this is my doubt. This is why I'm skeptical about you. This is why I don't believe. We don't have to run from that. He's not afraid of that. And I want you to know his church, the church that rallies around Jesus should not be afraid of that either. We should be people that welcome that. We should be a place that says, hey, we're not here to try to make you believe something, we're here to journey with you to point you to who Jesus is and what he's done. And we want to let you know what it is and who he is and, and what that means. We can't change your mind for you. It's not our job to do it. It's our job to be a conduit of his love and truth and to let the Holy Spirit do his job, which is to convict and to bring forth who God truly is. But we are meant to join Jesus. We're, this is part of us living sent. This is what it looks like where we welcome everybody and we wrestle with our own doubts, our own struggles, and we're honest about where we are, just like Thomas is. And it goes on to say this. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. That's the right response, right? When you come to a face-to-face -face interaction with the resurrected Christ and he shows you his hands that have the, the nail mark piercings in his side and he says, stop doubting and believe. But I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss what doesn't happen. He doesn't shun Thomas. He doesn't stiff-arm Thomas. He doesn't ignore Thomas. He comes to where Thomas is. 
And when we're genuinely seeking Jesus, I want you to know He will show up. He will meet us. When we lean in further to who He is, when we ask questions, when we're honest about our doubts, our skepticism, our anger even, our sad, sadness as well, depending on our story, He does not shun away from those things. He comes near. Just like He did for Thomas. He comes near to you. And I want you to know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's true for you, but if you are a follower of Jesus, and you're having a difficult time right now, and you're ever in this crossroads of a faith crisis, I want you to know Jesus doesn't run away from you either. He invites you to come near. He invites you to come where you are and to journey with Him and others who are going to point you to who this Jesus is. This Jesus is trustworthy to do so. When we see Him resurrected, one of the things that you can't miss is that He has superpowers, it seems, right? He goes through doors, right? And like, not like go through doors like He like kicks the door down. He literally goes through the door. It's like he's one of the Avengers or the X-Men, right? He's got, he's got these like superpowers. In other words, his body doesn't have physical limitations. His resurrected body like ours do. And I would love to be able to fly. That would be awesome, right? I mean, I, I don't know. That would be a cool superpower. But Jesus, again, is showing the fact that he's truly alive. This isn't a ghostly form. This is a bodily resurrected form. And they're seeing his hands. And they're seeing his side. And it, said, it says this here. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So he's to say, you believe because you've seen me. And again, that's not a condemnation that he's throwing or shade he's throwing at Thomas, but he's giving us a promise. There's a blessing for us who believe even though we don't physically see Jesus resurrected. There is a blessing for us and the blessing is this life that's built on Jesus that's marked with joy, hope, peace, truth, forgiveness, grace. It's this, this blessing that is ours that's found in Him. And when it says the, for those who believe, it's not just those who intellectually know. It's not just I have the information. It, it's the idea that I'm going to believe in such a way that it's going to cause me to act on what I say I believe. So it would be like me describing the chairs that you're sitting on. The chairs are black. They have four legs. They're, they're soft. They're cushiony. I believe they can hold my weight. And you're like, okay, that's, that's good. Like, thanks for sharing that with me. And I keep describing the chairs to you. You know that we assembled these chairs way back when. And you're like, all right, okay. All right, thanks for describing the chairs for me, but does that mean I actually believe the chairs can hold my weight because I've described them to you? Yes or no? No, right? I can keep talking to you about them or I can go down and sit on one of the chairs. In the same way, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to talk about information. It's not enough to describe who he is. We've got to build our lives and put the full weight of who we are. Our hopes, our longings, our dreams, our pain points, on him and so as we think about who jesus is and as we're in this teaching series two truths and a lie i want to give you a couple of things first is this that the historical resurrection really happened because it involved real people who reacted like they lost a loved one and responded with a great joy to see jesus alive responded with a great joy in other words they didn't think he was going to be alive which is the right response when you lose someone that you lost, 
you are sad, you cry, you mourn, you weep, all those things. Those are the right responses. But it's not the response of one who believes that they're going to show up again. Right? If you believe someone's going to show up again, you're going to have this anticipation. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm looking out, right? It's like, it's for, for my family and I, it's like when we're anticipating my son's bus coming. <laughs> and sometimes the time is different. And we have to be on the lookout. Because we never know when it's going to show up. If it's going to be a little early, a little late. It's that same idea. There's an anticipatory nature to who I am when I'm expecting him to be alive. But what they didn't understand is that he was going to come back. And so they had a real response. And then when they saw him alive, they were shocked. They were overjoyed. They were excited. Because they saw what they didn't expect to see. They did not expect for him to be alive. The next part of this is that the historical resurrection really happened because Jesus appeared to more than 500 witnesses at the same time. And if you have ever read the Scriptures, you've learned about a character named the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul persecuted the church. He killed Christians in the name of trying to honor God. He thought he was honoring God. And he did not believe that the resurrection really happened. He, did be, he believed that Jesus was a false teacher, Messiah, and he was a, was a heretic. And so he's stomping out Christianity as much as he can. That's what he's doing. And then in Acts 9, he has this encounter that forever changes who he is. But I want you to read how he describes in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection. And it's important that we don't lose sight because even if you are so anti-Jesus in the church, I want you to know there's still an invitation to you just like there was for Paul. Listen to what it says here. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is another uh, name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And fallen asleep is another term for, for death. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one, as to one abnormally born. And what he's talking about is he was so anti jesus in the church and he was stomping it out and trying to but it, it, he couldn't it kept spreading and that's why we're we're still here today and we're we're still going because it's a historical event that actually happened and eyewitnesses give an account but when he says he's abnormally born it took him coming face to face with jesus as he was riding on the road to damascus and it says here that he appeared to over 500 witnesses at the same time and him appearing to over 500 witnesses at the same time allows for us to have a proof that it wasn't just a few of them, but it was hundreds of them. And what Paul is saying is, hey, some of them to the church in Corinth, if you don't believe what I'm saying, because they were having a hard time with this whole idea of the resurrection, and you can read all about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if you don't want to take my word for it, go to some of these eyewitnesses that were there. They're still alive. They're still alive. This is what Paul is saying. This guy who was trying to stomp out Christianity, 
who was forever changed. That was one proof. But the other proof was that there's over 500, 500 witnesses that he appeared to at the same time. So as we think about that, I want us to consider the following. How do you respond to this claim? The resurrection of Jesus is a historical event. How do you respond to that claim? It's one thing for me to tell you what I think and what the Scripture tells us, but how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that, that claim that, that the resurrection is actually a historical event? It's not just something that we celebrate once a year. It's something that forever changed human history. It's something that not only changed human history, it's why the church, the church not only comes around it and celebrates it, but it's why the church continued on even in the throes of persecution, even in the throes of people trying to stomp it out. It's why the, the church of Jesus has outlasted empires that have come and gone, like the Roman Empire. But what do you do with that claim? I want you to just think about how do you respond to this claim, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event. The next question for you is, would you be willing to search for the truth about Jesus no matter what conclusion it leads you to? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to search for the truth about Jesus no matter what conclusion it leads you to? I want to invite you to do that. And for those of us who are not there, we're skeptical and we have our doubts and we have our question marks, I want to encourage you to know that you're welcome where you are to, to come with those struggles and with those doubts and those who are followers of Jesus to know that Jesus is still wanting to form us in his ways. And so to continue to journey after who this Jesus is. But again, would you be willing to search for the truth about Jesus no matter what conclusion it leads you to? The next part of this is if Jesus predicted his death and rose from the dead, he is trustworthy to follow. If Jesus predicted his death and rose from the dead, he is trustworthy to follow. And no matter where you are on that right now, and I get not all of you are there yet, I want you to know that Jesus not only said he was going to die, but that he was going to rise from the dead. And him rising from the dead puts him at such a different place, not only throughout humanity, but when you start studying the, the, the historical events of that time and even after that time, and you see spiritual and religious leaders who come and go and talk about hey, you've got to earn something. You've got to become something. You've got to do this and that. You've got to climb the ladder. You've got to do more. You've got to work harder. You've got to strive. Jesus came down to us. God in flesh came to you and to me. And through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he is trustworthy to follow. But he didn't just say, go do some things. He said, come follow me. Come follow me. Come, come let me change you from the inside out. Come let me do what you could not do for yourself. There is a way that's found in Jesus, this way of life that gives us this confident hope and assurance that says you are worth following. You are trustworthy. I don't have to earn your love. I can receive it and then respond accordingly. Again, if Jesus predicted his death and rose from the dead, he is trustworthy to follow. The next part is this, that if Jesus predicted his death and rose from the dead, he is trustworthy to do what he tells me to do. If Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, and he did it, and he asked you to do something, 
about your relationships, your finances, the areas of our lives that we often want to hold back from Him, our vision for sexuality and human flourishing. He's trustworthy to do what He asked me to do because He's not trying to withhold anything from me, but to give me life that's full and is found truly in Him. Again, if Jesus predicted His death and rose from the dead, and we're saying today that we believe He did, but for some of you, you're not there yet. And some of us who know the stories and go to church, we may be not there either. Well, we're not thinking he's trustworthy and we don't do what he asks us to do. And he's calling us forward. He's calling us by name. He's inviting us in. So as we think about what we've talked about, I want to give us a couple of next steps. So here's the first one. Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you do that today? Will you make a decision to say, Jesus, today... I put my trust in you. I, was, I came in here not believing in you, not accepting my need for a Savior, thinking I had earned a way and a right standing with God through all the good works I've done, or I was a spiritual person. I'm very spiritual. But I didn't have a Savior. And I recognize today I need a Savior. And Jesus, I'm telling you, you are the Savior. You are the one. I am putting my trust in you today. I'm putting my trust in your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And if you've made a decision today to do that, I want to invite you to fill out a connection card and just say, I have accepted Jesus. It's the first box on the, on the back of the connection card. You can just mark that. I have accepted Jesus. We want to be able to answer questions and follow up with you. The next part of this is, would you be willing to seek the truth about Jesus? You may not be ready to say, I'm all in. I've accepted Jesus today. And that's okay. I pray that you one day will be. But I want to ask you, would you be willing to seek the truth about Jesus? Not something that you heard from a professor. Not something you saw in a documentary. Not something you even heard from a pastor. But would you be willing to seek the truth about Jesus? Would you be willing to say, Jesus, I'm genuinely seeking the truth about you. And let the truth lead you to where it's going to lead you. Because I'm pretty confident to where it's going to lead you. And so is Jesus. So would you be willing to seek the truth about Jesus? And here's the last part. Will you live sent, serve like Jesus, and share what he has done for all? If you are a follower of Christ, will you live this way? Will you join Jesus and serving like Jesus served and sharing what he's done for all people? Will you join him in, in that way? And I want to invite us to do that. I want to invite us to consider our next step as we journey with Jesus. And if you say, hey, you know what? Today, I'm already there. I'm already a follower of Christ. Or today, I'm, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. Let us know that. And if you've said, hey, I've recently become a follower of Jesus, and you want to take the next step to publicly proclaim that through baptism, we've got a baptism coming up on Sunday, May 1st. We we'll invite you to sign up for that. But I want you to think where you are. Because Jesus is calling your name and he's calling you forward and he's inviting you in to this journey with him. And so as we think about that, I want to just invite us to enter into a, a moment of prayer. And we're just going to allow for a little bit of quiet. And as we do, I just want you to think, where are you here on these three things, these three questions? Let's pray together.
Father, right now, we just thank you for the resurrection and the life that is found in you. And Lord, we pray for any person here today that needs to and wants to put their trust in you and to say, today I, I begin a relationship with you. Today I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. I'm changing my mind and my direction about how I think I can save myself to enter into this life that is full of hope in this life and in the life to come, Jesus. We pray right now for every person here today who is considering to do that. It's a simple, simple thing to just say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I recognize my need for you. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Forgive me of my sins. Take my sin, which you've already paid the price for. I acknowledge that you are the one that can deal with that once and for all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And thank you for the hope that's found in you and the forgiveness that is mine in you. Thank you that I get to join you in what you're doing. And so if you've prayed a prayer any of those types of ways, and it's not a, a set of magic words, it's just about faith, faith like a child, a faith like a mustard seed. If you've made any decision to trust Jesus today, let us know that. We want to know that. And then, Father, we pray as we go out, we pray that we would be willing to seek you even if we're not ready to receive you yet. May we hear your invitation. And then lastly, Father, for us who are followers of you, may we join you in living scent. Even as we go out in a, a little bit here and see some animals and the petting zoo and all those things, Lord, I pray we would be mindful of interacting with one another that would point each of us towards you in your ways. We love you, Jesus, and we are so grateful for you. In your name we pray, amen.